0: Please, congregation, turn your Bibles this evening in the first place to Acts chapter 1. Reading the first place from Acts chapter 1 before reading also from Revelation 22, after which we'll also read a few questions and answers from our catechism. First of all, Acts chapter 1, read the first 11 verses together. Our focus for this evening, our text, being verses 6 through 11. Acts chapter 1 at verse 1, this is God's holy word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard from me. For John baptizeth with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." So when they had come together, they asked him, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?" And he said to them, "It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority." But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's read of that second coming from Revelation 22. Last chapter in the Bibles. Revelation 22 at verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb to the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near." Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and, adult and, idolat- and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take water of life from take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this from the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to all these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I also want to read just a few questions and answers from the Catechism from Lord's Days 18 and 19. Questions which center on how Christ's ascension and how his uh, session and return benefit us and comfort us. Some of the most treasured questions and answers in the Catechism, of course, are those questions that ask us directly how does this Truth benefit you. How does it comfort you? How does it help you? And uh, we consider a few of those questions and answers this evening. Question forty-nine, and fifty-one, and fifty-two. First of all, question forty-nine, page two hundred twenty in the forms and prayers books. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, He is our advocate in heaven in the presence of His Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power we seek not earthly things, but things above where Christ is seated, sitting at God's right hand. Question 51. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? first, Through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. Question 52. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. That's the church of Christ that does believe and confess throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the reasons that celebrating the ascension of Christ is such a blessing for us is because doing so invites us to to ask the question, what is Jesus doing for us now? What is Jesus doing for us now? You see, boys and girls, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not go there merely to to sit on his hands and do nothing. Nothing. But when Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand, he did so not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. He did so not for his own sake, but for our sake. As we heard and sang from Psalm 68, he did so so that he might give gifts to men, that he might pour out his gifts upon us, his members. Christ ascended into heaven in order that we might have an advocate or that we might have an intercessor, a mediator, to, to plead our cause, and we've given into to sin, to, to plead it before his Father to forgive us and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. He ascended to heaven to protect us, to keep us safe, to guard us from all our spiritual enemies. Christ ascended into heaven for our sake. And so the ascension is really every bit as worthy of our celebration as is his birth, as is his crucifixion, as is his resurrection. The ascension is our guarantee that the Father has been pleased in all Christ's works. It's our guarantee that just as Christ's flesh is in heaven, he too will take us to be with him in heaven. The ascension of Christ is what proves that God has indeed done what the Apostle Paul has said he has done, that God has highly exalted him and that God has has indeed given him that name that is above every other name so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is indeed Lord to the glory of God the Father. So whereas, boys and girls, we celebrate on Christmas the birth of Christ, on Ascension Day we celebrate the coronation of Christ, the, the coronation of the King. Ascension Day as Coronation Day marks the reality that that a new era has begun. The era of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the era of kingdom victory, the era of of kingdom conquest, the era of of the Holy Spirit serving the King and bringing the gospel to the nations. A new era, a new age has begun. And this congregation is the believer's confession. King Jesus is on the throne, sovereignly ruling over every human affair, and King Jesus is Coming back. He is coming back not only to judge the living and the dead, but he's coming back to, to take his church to be with him in the joy and glory of heaven. And so we can and so what we confess here in the catechism, we read here in Acts chapter one, Revelation twenty-two is incredibly relevant. It ought to have a, a profound impact on how we see the world and on how we see our place in the world. Because if Jesus really is who the Bible says he is, and if Christ really is where the Bible says he is, namely, seated in heaven at the right hand of God, then he's worthy. Then he's worthy of your worship. Then he's he's worthy of your praise, as we heard in our call to worship as the elders fall down and, and worship Christ the King. If Christ really is there as he is, then he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of of all that we have and all that we are. This in part is why we've indeed come together this evening to remind ourselves once again that, that Jesus is a king worth living for. Jesus is a king who's, who's worth devoting your life to. He is a king who is worth all your love, all your service, all your worship, all your praise. He is worthy. worthy because there's no other king like him in all the world. He as king of kings and lord of lords is unmatched, not only in his glory but also in his grace. And so we do well to consider this evening the glorious ascension of Christ. This evening we're reminded that that Christ's coronation, his ascending into heaven and receiving that crown of glory that Christ's coronation is indeed for our comfort. That's what Luke would have us to see here in Acts chapter 1. He's He's written, or that we might take to heart the knowledge that that Christ is on the throne. That Christ wears the crown of glory, not just for his own sake, but for our sake. to, To show that the Father rules all things through him, and that he is governing and protecting his church, working all things together for good. But we note in the first place that Christ's coronation is preceded by his commission. That's what we discover in verses six and seven. We read at the start of Acts that, that after Christ was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And, and in the course of those forty days, those those six weeks, he spoke to his disciples about the kingdom of God. I trust you'll recall from throughout his earthly ministry that the coming of the kingdom was one of the primary themes, if not the central theme, of Christ's ministry. The kingdom had come. That's how Mark uh, shows Christ beginning his ministry by by proclaiming the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and, and believe the gospel. And throughout the gospels we see that this kingdom which Christ proclaimed was indeed unlike any other kingdom in all the world. Because Christ's kingdom was a kingdom that brought about salvation and life. It was a kingdom that proclaimed liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. It was a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of grace and and restoration. It was a kingdom that brought about restoration between God and rebel sinners like us. There was no other kingdom like his kingdom in all the world. This was the kingdom that Christ spoke about before his death, and this was the kingdom that Christ likewise spoke about after his resurrection. And so we read in verse 6 that when they, that is the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Perhaps now that Christ had, had conquered death, perhaps now the time had finally come for the kingdom to, to come in all its fullness, perhaps now the time had, had finally come for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Perhaps those those glorious days gone by, those glorious days still living in Israel, In their memory, those glorious days of King David and and King Solomon, when the law of the Lord was the law of the land, perhaps those days were finally upon them. Perhaps the kingdom was finally coming in all its fullness. So they ask, has the time come? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? How does Jesus respond to their question? He answers in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see, there are some things that God has chosen to keep hidden from us. And the precise timing and final coming of his kingdom is one of those things. You and I are not always privy to God's timetable. The secret things, says Moses in Deuteronomy 29, belong to the Lord. But the things he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever. that We might do his law. Jesus does not tell his disciples the mystery of the kingdom's final arrival. But he does tell them their mission. What does he go on to say in verse 8? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And... To the end of the earth. And with these words, Jesus has brought in their perspective, hasn't he? He's, he's shown the disciples again that the, that the realm of his Christ kingdom is, is not going to be limited or confined to the boundaries and borders of Israel. But, but Christ says that these disciples are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is their charge. This is their, com- their, their commission. This is the, the task that the king sets before them. That as Matthew puts it in the well-known Great Commission verses in Matthew 28, Go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this commission we recognize comes as the fulfillment of God's promise so long ago, that God had, had promised all the way back to, to, in the days of, of Father Abram that I will make you a great name and that through you, he said to Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God had spoken similarly through the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah said, uh, when the Lord said to Israel through the mouth of Isaiah, and I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth, Isaiah 49, verse 6. This commission from Christ comes as the fulfillment of and the answer to this psalmist prayer in Psalm 67, O God, that all men praise you, that all the nations sing, and in every land let praises and songs of gladness ring. In the Great Commission, you see, Christ lays claim to the universe. That's that's how, how wide, that's how expansive is is the scope of his reign. His his mission map covers the entire earth. As Paul says in Philippians two, every knee therefore must bow, every tongue must confess that he is Lord, if not willingly in this life, then, then unwillingly in the life to come. And so as the church carries out Christ's mission in the present day, as ministers and, and church planters proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, and as we ourselves bear witness to what Christ has done in our own lives, we bear witness to our children and to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, we do so recognizing that, that the ones whom we, to whom we give that witness are those upon whom Christ has already made His claim. Christ has already claimed the nations, summoning all men everywhere to repent and, and to believe the gospel. His kingdom has transcended the borders and boundaries of Israel. And that's what he wants his disciples to see here. The message of salvation is not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And so he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this, you may, know, you may know, is more or less the layout or, or the outline of the rest of the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 tell us about, about the gospel being proclaimed in Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 and following tell us about the gospel spreading in Judea and Samaria. And then throughout the entire Roman Empire. For God so loved the world, says John. Not just the nation of Israel, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But notice also how Jesus speaks not only of the breadth or or of the broadening of the kingdom, but also of of the deepening of the kingdom. We also learn here that his is a kingdom that's marked not only by a, a wide physical dimension, but also by deep spiritual dimensions. It penetrates into the very hearts of his subjects, Through the Spirit. For there's only one way in which this kingdom can ever begin to penetrate the hearts of Israel and go beyond the borders of Israel, and that's through the work of the Spirit. And so we see here that tethered to Christ's commission is also the promise of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will who will come upon them and empower them to to carry out this commission. For although Christ was returning to his Father, that did not mean that he was leaving his disciples as orphans. He had had assured them of that, you remember, in, in his farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, saying that, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper to abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells in you, with you, and will be in you. He assured them also when the Helper comes. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will lead you in all truth. He assured them of these things. Just because Jesus was going to his Father in heaven didn't mean he was going to be absent from them even for a moment. But in fact, he was going to draw closer to them than he ever had before in the gift of the Spirit. As Dennis Johnson writes on this passage, the only power strong enough to invade and enliven dead rebel hearts is the Spirit himself. And so tethered to this promise, and so tethered to the commission is also the promise that the Spirit will come upon them and give them power from on high, in order that they might bear witness to the nations that Jesus Christ is Savior of the world and King of the nations. And wonder of all wonders, lo and behold, here we are tonight. Here we are by nature, rebels belonging to the rebel army. Strangers and aliens to the covenants of promise. Falling blindly the power of the air, that, the prince of the power of the air. That's who we were by nature. And yet here we are tonight as those whom the ascended Christ has brought near to himself and into his kingdom by the power of the spirit and through the preaching of the gospel. Here we are tonight to worship as those to whom the Great Commission has come. Verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, we read that he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. In his gospel account of the ascension, Luke notes that just as Aaron would lift up his hands to, to bless the people before going into the tabernacle, so too when Christ was taken into heaven. He did so lifting his hands to to bless his disciples. And what a comfort this is for us, that as Christ ascends into heaven to take his seat upon the throne in heaven, to receive the the crown of glory in heaven, to sit at the right hand of God, he he does so assuring his disciples of his priestly benediction. And this, you'll know, is is the thrust of that whole letter to, to the Hebrews, that that Christ has superseded the Old Testament priesthood. He has gone behind the curtain, behind the veil, and he has gone there to intercede, to to live to make intercession for us. As Christ ascends into heaven, he does so assuring us that his ascension is for our good. He does so assuring us that his ascension is, is for our benefit, as our catechism reminds us. But whereas... The accent in Luke's gospel account was on the priestly significance of Christ's ascension. The accent in this, his second work, the book of Acts, seems to be on the kingly significance of his ascension. And As we picture in our minds Christ being taken up and and the clouds taking him out of the disciples' sight, Luke intends to to remind his readers to evoke that imagery from Daniel chapter 7 of the Son of Man coming upon the clouds to, to the ancient of days to receive his eternal and worldwide dominion. As the Apostle Peter will declare in his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, Christ's ascension to heaven is the proof that God had Fulfilled his promise to David. You remember that great promise in 2 Samuel 7. I'll give you an everlasting kingdom. And, and your throne will endure forever and ever. And Peter says in the ascension of Christ. God has fulfilled that promise. Christ the greater son of David. Has has taken his seat upon the throne. To have dominion. in an everlasting kingdom. To sit upon an everlasting throne. And This is what we consider tonight. That. King Jesus sits on the throne for our sake. He does so to pour out his spirit and his gifts upon us, his members, and he now reigns over every human affair. And the good news of the gospel is that our ascended king is indeed as gracious as he is glorious. As our catechism reminds us in Lord's Day 18, we now have an advocate in heaven who pleads our cause in the presence of his father. As a reminder, in Article 26 of the Belgian Confession, were it not for Christ, our advocate, were it not for Him, our intercessor, we would have no access to the Divine Majesty. Were it not for Him, we would, we would come to the throne and find a, a door with a deadbolt locked shut, locked out of the throne room. But in Christ, our advocate, we have access to the Father, access to the Divine Majesty through this intercessor, whom the article says, loves us more than anyone else loves us. as reminded in lords day 19 christ ascended to heaven to show that he is indeed the head of the church and the one through whom the father governs all things and by his power he defends us and preserves us from all our enemies as he sits in heaven he he answers that prayer right deliver us from temptation lead us lead us not to temptation deliver us from the evil one that has the Lord's Day 52 reminds us we're so weak that we can't stand on our own, even for a moment as as our sworn enemies never stop assaulting us, but the ascension of Christ is the guarantee of our protection from those assaults of the evil one. He governs, he preserves, he protects. And so the point of Lord's Days 18 and 19 is to press upon us the reality that in Christ, we have a glorious king, a gracious king, and a guardian king who, whose love never fails. These two lords, these remind us that, that Christ is not a, a careless king. It's not that Christ is, is an ambivalent king who, who doesn't know what's, what's going on in your lives. He's not unaware of your trials or your tragedies or your tears. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a king who knows where we are and how we are. He knows everything we're going through. He's watching over us, and he's working all things together for our good as the sovereign king of the universe. Sometimes it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes we we look at the world around us, and it does not always appear that that Christ is on the throne. Maybe we wonder, is Christ really on the throne? If, is Christ really reigning? If so, then, then why is the world the way it is? It doesn't always feel like, like Christ is exalted in heaven and sit at the seat at the right hand of the Father. Just like the sight of his disciples, our view of Christ and his glory is also obscured by the clouds. We don't always see it. But, of course, the call of faith is to believe it. To take those words of Psalm 110 to heart, that psalm that assures us that that Christ is indeed subduing all his enemies under his feet. That he who sits in the heavens laughs, it laughs but he has set his king in Zion, his holy hill. Psalms like that remind us that nothing takes King Jesus by surprise. King Jesus isn't scared about what's going to happen next in our country, in our world. It's not as though King Jesus is is frustrated by things not going according to plan. It's not as though King Jesus is is biting his nails in heaven, not knowing how all this is going to turn out. But Christ is sits calmly upon his throne. His redemptive plan has not and cannot be thwarted by politicians or political agendas. Can't be thwarted by persecution or peril. But everything is going according to plan. The ascension reminds us that Christ is is in control. Christ is sovereign over all. God has indeed highly exalted him. And he's crowned him with glory and honor. And so John Calvin writes on this passage from Acts chapter 1 that there is nothing in this world that we have to fear. Yes, it is true, says Calvin, that we are subject to much affliction, But we must not be filled with fear or think only of ourselves. Rather, says Calvin, we must look to our head who is already in heaven. And we must say to ourselves, weak though I am, there is Jesus Christ, powerful enough to keep me on my feet. Frail though I am, there is Jesus Christ who is my strength. Full of misery I am, but there is Christ in eternal glory. All that he has, says Calvin, the believer can say to himself, he will give me forever. And I will share in all his blessings. This is the believer's confession. This is his comfort. Believers can say, Christ ascended into heaven for me. Christ sits on the throne for me. Christ is coming back for me. We can say that in the last place this evening. Christ is coming back for me. That's our confession. He's coming back for us. So we learn in verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And herein lies our greatest hope in all the world. Christ will return from heaven in the same manner in which he went into heaven. He will return in glory. And the question this reality presses upon every one of us is simply this, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Do you long for that day, for the return of the King? Words <laughs> in 19 asks the question, how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? And to that question, the answer is given, all my distress and all my persecution with uplifted head, not with a head of Hanging low in shame, not with a head hanging low in fear. but with uplifted head, I confidently await the very one who has already stood condemned in my place, has removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine, he will cast into everlasting condemnation, but me and all his chosen ones, he'll take with him into the joy and glory of heaven. Listen again to the picture that the Apostle John paints for us when, you think, when he tells us about the return of Christ and the bringing the new creation with him. What does he say? He says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, With its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. We have this sure testimony from the king himself. These words are trustworthy and true. The return of the king means the end of all our pain, all our suffering. It means the, the end of all our loneliness and all of our depression. It means the end of all our sin and all our shame. Do we long for that day that glorious day of the return of the King. The day when every wrong will be righted. When he'll bring about the restoration of all things. He who testifies to all these things says, surely I am coming soon. He's coming soon. That's the good news of the gospel. And so we pray, even so come. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you again tonight and we give you thanks that Jesus Christ ascended on high. There to be our advocate and to reign over all creation. We thank you, O God, that King Jesus is a glorious king and that he is also a gracious king he is our guardian king that he protects us and preserves us from all our enemies that he lives to make intercession for us we thank you O lord that in the midst of all our trials and tribulations we have a king who knows everything that we're going through and he gives us the assurance that all things are working according to his purpose according to his plan according to the father's timetable And that the day draws near when we shall see him face to face. Father, we pray for the return of the king. Father, what a glorious thing it would be if on this ascension day, Christ would return. If he would return tonight upon the clouds, we might see him. in all his glory and all his grandeur and all his greatness. But if he tarries, oh God, we pray that you would grant us faith to live without fear. and grant us faith to live for him and to see that he is worthy of our worship, that he is worthy of our praise, that he is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. These things we ask in the King's name and for his sake.